0: Do you often find yourself overworking and struggling to say no in your veterinary career? You're not alone. Many vets face this challenge, but what's really behind our drive to constantly push beyond our limits? You're clocking in extra hours, taking on more than you can handle, and yet, you're left wondering why it's so hard to establish healthy work boundaries. We're our worst enemies. Why do we struggle with setting boundaries? And how can establishing them change your professional life? Stuck in your veterinary career and need help taking the next steps? My name is Steve O'Ely, and my mission is to help you take the next steps in your veterinary career so you can find more happiness and fulfillment in your job and your life. You're listening to Next Step Vet. Join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Marie Hollowaychuk. She achieved the definition of career success as a vet, becoming a specialist in critical care before burning out. She decided that changing her job description would fix the problem. Becoming a locum vet, as well as doing a list of things that are too long to list here. She's one of those particularly high-achieving vets that is on boards, writes in journals, and presents at conferences. And of course, this inevitably led to further burnout. It's now her mission to increase awareness about mental health and well-being in the vet profession through her company, Reviving Vet Medicine. You're going to learn why we as vets often fall into the trap of perfectionism and overworking. The crucial factors to consider before setting boundaries in your workplace, and I'll give you one simple challenge you can do today to help identify your boundaries. But before we do that, if you're a veterinarian wanting to finally take back control of your job, find the life you've always wanted, and design a career that works for you, stay tuned to the end of this episode, and I'll share with you how we can help. I'm the founder of Next Step Vet, Steve O'Ely. As well as being a vet, I'm also a transformative career coach running the Next Step Vet program, where we help vets design rewarding and fulfilling careers of their own. Like many of you, I used to believe that working harder and longer was the key to success in life. I was brought up in an environment where I was taught to work hard, get good grades, and go to university. My parents were very critical. And as a result, I ended up being very motivated to do well, but at the same time, also very self critical. Despite my superficial career success, I was plagued with self doubt, anxiety, and the tendency to put work over personal priorities. But this path led to burnout and even an existential crisis of what my meaning and purpose was in the world. If this career isn't bringing me joy and fulfillment, What can? Since then, I've sought professional help from a psychologist, a life coach, a career coach, as well as speaking to literally hundreds of accomplished vets who've achieved amazing careers both inside and outside of clinical practice. I accessed the top career resources on the planet to create a coaching program specifically for vets, one which has helped countless other vets design rewarding and fulfilling careers of their own. And now, my mission is to help you do the same. Why are we as vets worse than most at creating boundaries? And what can we do about it? We join the conversation with Marie detailing what led to her burning out as a clinical vet and becoming interested in the mental health and well-being space for vets.
1: I grew up a daughter of two veterinarians, so I've been In the veterinary space for what feels like a lifetime. And I went into vet school at a young age. I I knew early on I wanted to be a vet, briefly considered other things and then decided nope and just full steam ahead into vet medicine. I graduated from vet school um, back in 2004. And after that, I went on to do advanced training in the States. And I literally went from vet school to internship to residency with days in between. And I completed my residency in small animal emergency and critical care in 2008. And right after that, I took a job in academia back in Canada at the Ontario Vet College. I had gone to the States for my training and then returned to Canada to begin my life, start my journey as a specialist. And I loved academia. I loved all parts of it, the teaching, the research, the clinic time. And I loved it so much that I was working all the time. And ultimately that led to my burnout. And I didn't know it at the time. I just thought this career isn't sustainable for me. I'm not cut out for this. You know, I can't keep going like this. And so I gave my resignation after being there for five years. I had just turned in my promotion and tenure documents, which for anybody who's in academia knows that's a really big deal. And it kind of, solidifies you in academia for life, so to speak, but I just decided it wasn't quite right for me or something wasn't right. And so I ended up moving across the country back home to where I had grown up and deciding I was just gonna do locum work as a speaker, as a specialist um, in the field of emergency and critical care. So wellness wasn't even on my radar at that time. And then I just continued the same patterns of workaholism, perfectionism, and not taking care of myself, and I got burnt out again. And it was from there that I really ultimately had to turn my life around, and, and that's when I became interested in mental health and well-being.
0: We're perfectionists, we're workaholics. What is it about vets that leads so many of us into this trap, no matter what job we're in? Marie shares not only her battle with perfectionism, but why there's an underlying shame or even fear behind this.
1: Some of that is model behavior for us, you know, especially with perfectionism. If you grow up with someone in your household who exhibits traits of perfectionism, you're much more likely yourself to exhibit that as well. And that was certainly the case for me with my mom, um, who definitely always prided herself on, you know, being a perfect vet and, and presenting herself as a perfect person and keeping the house a perfect space, you know, all of those things. Um, you know, the workaholism, I think, is so multi-factored. And now, fast forward years later, I'm happy to say I'm a recovering workaholic and a recovering perfectionist, really. Um, and really, for me, it was... You know, time spent in therapy that really showed to me where that was coming from. And, you know, over the last 10 plus years since I left my job in academia, I've been back and forth into therapy to revisit this tendency towards workaholism. And I think certainly for me, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of my worth and my feeling of accomplishment and feeling of contribution is attributed to my work. And so very often for me, when things aren't going well outside of work or when I'm feeling bored or, um, I mean, who has time to feel bored, but you know, when, when I'm not (laughs) feeling like things are moving and shaking and happening and, and, you know, stimulating in some sort of way, then I revert back into working and, and doing more and, and striving for more. So You know, I think that there, from a workaholism perspective, I think many of us use work work as avoidance. I think we use work as coping strategy. I think we use it to derive our sense of work, our sense of, not our sense of work, I should say. That was a Freudian slip. Our sense of worth and our sense (laughs) of self and the perfectionism, you know, so many of us are high achievers going into veterinary medicine. It takes a lot of work ethic. It takes a lot of um, you know, good grades and everything else to get into vet school. So I think it's somewhat self-selects for those who strive for high performance. And very often those who are high strivers also aim for perfectionism. And sometimes that is just about wanting to be the best and do the best. I talked to so many vets, myself included, that really don't want to make a mistake at work. I mean, we really want to do the best for our patients and for our team. And, you know, there's this healthy sense of striving and perfectionism that is good for everyone, including our patients, our clients, and our team. And then there's that state where it tips over into maladaptive perfectionism or unhealthy striving where we never tolerate mistakes or we expect that we are always going to be able to deliver gold standard care. And I think some of that maladaptive perfectionism really does come from, you know, fear, fear of... What will my clients think of me if I don't have the answer with their pet? Or what will my team members think of me if they see me make a mistake? Or what will my colleague think of me if I hand over a case and the medical record isn't done perfectly? Or what will the review board think if they get a complaint and they review my record and it's written in such a way? So there's a lot of this, you know, fear around consequences of what happens when things aren't done <clears throat> perfectly. And then for some, you know, there's a shame tendency where if things aren't perfect, we feel like we're somehow flawed or a bad person or a bad vet in some way. And so, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about individuals who use perfectionism as a shield to prevent that shame experience. And then of course, the negative consequences of that are all the negative consequences of that maladaptive perfectionism.
0: I'm really glad. I'm no psychologist myself, but There's got to be something that stems from our childhoods. And I think vets and probably other medical professionals in particular do tend to come from these environments where we're brought up to think that we should be perfect and potentially maybe even punished for mistakes. And I think what I'm trying to say is that a lot of these issues probably stem from sort of deep core psychological things that we um you know learned at a young age
1: yes steve you're 100% correct i've done a lot of reading and research in this area and you know the the mental health professionals do say that very often this is you know these aren't these aren't only learned behaviors by seeing what was modeled for us but they're often reinforced by the way that we're spoken to or treated as children or even coach, coaches or teachers or other parental figures in our lives For anybody listening who can relate to this, coming home and you got a 97% on an exam and a parent says to you, you know, well, what happened to the other 3%? Um, So there's the potential. Yeah, there's the potential punishment when you don't, you know, get that 100% or that perfect score. And there's also this reinforcement of doing things perfectly, you know, coloring within the lines or you know even the way i'm you know as a as a mom of a 3 year old right now i'm very mindful of the things that i say to her and not trying to to imply that she's only doing good when she's being perfect you know so to instead reinforce you work so hard or you know i can see that you're really interested in that or whatever it is rather than wow you excel at that you're perfect at that you know and then it becomes the being perfect at it that is reinforced rather than the fact that I actually just worked really hard at this and I enjoy what I'm doing.
0: Boundaries, they're something we're really not good at creating as vets. We work overtime, we work weekends. Heck, we even sacrifice sleep for this job if we're perfectionists and we're workaholics. It's not hard to see why we often let our boundaries get overstepped. Why do boundaries matter?
1: One of the ways that we avoid those perfectionistic behaviors is, you know, limiting, for example, the amount of time that we're going to spend on something, that's a boundary. Or, um, you know, just limiting the amount of work we're going to do in general is another boundary. So, you know, as someone who really advocates for healthy boundaries among veterinary professionals, for me, it it always starts, first of all, with an awareness. You know, we have to have an awareness of what boundaries are. And we also want to have an awareness of how it feels when we have a healthy boundary and what happens when we have an unhealthy boundary. Because I think Between the two of us, I'm sure a lot of what we see amongst, you know, our clients who we're coaching or others whom we're working with is that a lot of distress and frustration and anxiety and resentment about the profession or about the work that we do in vet medicine comes from some form of an unhealthy boundary. So there's always that awareness piece, that recognition. And then, you know, the next step is determining, you know, what do I need? What are my limits? What non-negotiables do I have? And all of those translate into establishing and communicating boundaries.
0: I wanna ask a a question about a specific issue where I can imagine boundaries get pushed. Um, And fortunately for me personally, I don't suffer from this. Um, I have elements of perfectionism, uh, like trying to get the uh, the camera in a perfect position before our interview. (laughs) today that doesn't really matter because it's probably not even going to make it online but um, a very common example in the vet space and I've seen this with so many colleagues is you know I'll go to leave work at 5 30 say in this particular example and I've got a colleague and she's writing notes and she's going to be there until long after 6 p.m. and I look at her notes and you know, you're seeing 20 plus consults a day and each of her notes is a short, not a short essay, sorry, a long essay. And (laughs) it's something that no other vet's actually going to have the time to read thoroughly where you could distill the same information into some very key points to then pass on to the next vet. I think it ties into both perfectionism and setting boundaries. What would you say to someone who struggles with that as an example?
1: Yeah, such a good example and and so important to talk about because there are so many veterinarians who are falling into this category of writing these thesis-style medical records. And I think, you know, a lot of this in this situation, wanting to have the perfect medical record, I think oftentimes stems from fear of what will someone think when they read this record? Like, what if this client complains and it goes, you know for review? Or what if I have to send this patient for a referral and someone else is going to read it? I think there really is this unrealistic expectation that every single thing must be captured in the medical record. And I'm certainly not an advocate for having garbage medical records that no one can decipher or that really don't have those key you know, points that we need to have, especially for me as a, as a someone who is often referred to the medical record components are really important to me, you know, when I'm assessing the patients that might come to me in the ICU. Now that said, it's important to establish what are realistic expectations for the record. So what is the necessary information that we should have in there? Like you said, distilling it down to those key points that would be important Should the case need to be cared for, you know, by anybody else or should there be historical information that is needed for a later diagnosis or whatever it might be? I believe that there are ways to establish boundaries around this whereby an individual might set a time limit for how long they're going to spend on a medical record or they might, you know, have a specific template that they adhere to consistently that, you know, staying within the boundaries of of what that template outlines. I think a lot of it though comes down to, you know, as you referred to those, you know, childhood learned behaviors or limiting beliefs that are leading these individuals to have this notion that they must do their medical records a certain way. And unfortunately, I've seen situations where new graduate veterinarians have been in a situation where their, you know, one of their clients has complained or there has been a a review of one of their cases that they have managed and then it really reinforces this notion that I have to like dot all of my I's and cross my T's and look over my cases 20 times over. So realistic expectations for me are just knowing the bare bones of what needs to be in the medical record, Um, trying to be as efficient as possible using templates and other things for that And then the boundaries come from the time that's dedicated to each record, as well as um, the double checking of the medical record. So very often individuals are late because they've already written the records, but they wanna go back over every record again and again and again. And so limiting it to, I'm gonna write this record, I'm gonna read it over once, and then that's gonna be it. I'm not gonna go back and double and triple check it. That's, it's gonna be submitted and I'm not gonna look at it again.
0: In order to set clear boundaries, it's important to get an understanding of your core values. Marie shares a personal story to explain.
1: One of my core values is health. And what that looks like for me when I'm living into that core value is that I have time in the morning to exercise. I'm getting outside once a day. I'm getting seven to eight hours of sleep every night. I have time to eat healthfully, you know, I have an appointment with my mental health professional every few weeks. There's many, many things that show up in my life or that continue to happen in my life when I am aligned with that core value. And I know when I'm not aligned with that value, when things start to go off course, and that tends to show up for me, whereby I'm working very long hours I might be working late into the evening after my daughter is asleep and that's impacting my sleep. I might be skipping workouts so that I can get work done and that's impacting, you know, my health. And it just, you know, there's many, many different ways in which that can show up. But ultimately what is happening there is that I've let my boundaries slide. And so this is where recognizing when we've identified a core value, what does our life look like when we're living into that value and what does it look like when we are not and to set up guardrails so that we don't veer off course, that's where identifying our needs, our limits, our non-negotiables, all of those are forms of boundaries. And once we have those in place, then we can really live into our values and stay aligned and avoid that sense of distress or discomfort that comes with living a life that isn't aligned with our values. So for me, it's just so important to... Make sure that I've identified that these are my work hours for for the day, and and that's not negotiable for me. Or, um, you know, this is my shut off time when it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how important something might be. That's when the computer goes off because I know I need that buffer time between technology and sleep to really be able to you know get the time that I need to get the sleep that I need. So that's just one example. And I hope that helps to illustrate, you know, that relationship between our core values and boundaries.
0: Yeah, I think I get it. And, and essentially what you're saying is, or at least this is how I'm interpreting it is if you identify what's most important to you in your life, then that helps to set those boundaries. Because if you say for argument's sake, that family is one of your core three or four values, and every night um, you're leaving work half an hour late to to finish your notes and you're not getting to see your young daughter or young son or or whoever it is, the important person in your life, then once you've identified those, I guess it sort of brings it to the surface to realise what the, the actual cost of this is and maybe that might stimulate that behaviour change more than just sort of saying, oh, I'm finishing work late too often, you're actually like, oh, I'm missing out on family, which is one of my core values.
1: Absolutely. It just, it provides that North star or that, that, you know, compass that really keeps us on track. And, and really for me helps to identify, you know, why, why isn't this situation working for me? You know, I think so often veterinary professionals who become, you know, disenfranchised with that medicine are just like, just that medicine, it's not good. I It's not working for me. The big question is why and, and chances are there's some misalignment there and with some adjustments to be able to preserve those things, as you said, that are of the most importance to us, then very often that distress and that disgruntlement goes away.
0: Values are so important. It's one of the first things I work through with veterinarians who are going through the Next Step Vet Career Accelerator. We need to gain awareness of what our values are in order to understand where and why our lives are not currently in alignment. If you're considering making changes in your veterinary career, Marie shares three tips for you.
1: I think the first thing to recognize is that no good decisions are ever made when a person is feeling overwhelmed, stressed, exhausted, and burnt out. And so, You know, it it seems intuitive and a person might not have this opportunity, but if there is any opportunity to use paid time off vacation time, mental health time, whatever might be allotted to that individual, and it hasn't been taken, then take it, take the time to give yourself a break before making a decision that you might come to regret at a later time. So that would be the first thing I would recommend. The second thing that I would say would be to really, you know, tying back to what we were just discussing to really give thought to why is this not working for you? What is the why behind that? So this isn't working for me because not just this isn't working for me. (laughs) What is not working? You know what, in what moments of your day do you get that feeling of like, just wanting to throw your hands up and say, forget this, like I'm done right? So this these might be particular interactions with clients. They might be the giant pile of medical records and not having time to do them. They might be, like you said, staying late at the end of the day and missing out time with family or working every Saturday and feeling like you never have a weekend off. Like what is it that isn't working for you? And then the third time is, third thing I should say is (laughs) to think about what would make it doable, I think so often, and I am the first person to experience this, and I have certainly felt this many times in my career, where I just didn't see any other way. You know, I was so pigeonholed into, like, this is the way it is. There's no other way. I'm either in vet med and it's this job and and this is the experience that everyone has. Or it's, it's completely nothing, it's something different. And, and I saw that play out when I left my job in academia. It was either academia or I'm, I'm gone and I don't even have another job, I'm just leaving. Sure. And it's, it's, it's not realistic. If we can take a moment to sit and look at what would make this doable for me. If I could be home to have dinner with my family at 5.30. If I could have one Saturday off a month to you know spend the weekend with my family or to go away. If I could have a little bit of time in my day to do my medical records so that I'm not doing them all at six o'clock at night after the clinic is closed, you know, to really get clear on these things and and to stop yourself from getting into just into the mindset. Well, that would never happen. Well, that's not possible. Nobody does that. Well, that's not a thing. Everybody has to work this. Everybody has to do that because the reality is it is possible. And I think we overlook so many times how much we actually have control over in our lives. We just surrender control over to vet medicine. Like it's this all powering, you know, beast that just makes all the decisions, you know, whether it be vet med, your manager, your boss, or your clients. And the reality is, is that you are the one with the control.
0: The irony with the veterinary profession is we actually do have a lot more control of our time than a lot of other professions. Unlike project-based jobs, where you might need to be spending 50 plus hours a week on the job during the busy times of the year, as a vet, there's the ability to locum, to get paid well for a set amount of hours of work. So for vets listening to this podcast that don't want to leave the profession, how does Marie encourage vets that are burnt out to not leave clinical practice?
1: When you are in that state of, I just don't know if that medicine is right for me, is to really take the time to connect with someone else who can offer an outside perspective. Not to say that they're gonna tell you if that med is right for you, but they are going to help you work through your thought process and to do things like we've talked about, like identifying those, those core values, like figuring out what your ideal life looks like for you. Maybe that ideal life has nothing to do with vet medicine, but maybe it does. It's just not in the way that you're doing it right now. Working with a coach can be so helpful for those reasons because, you know, you and I as coaches have the opportunity to really ask people questions and and offer people reflections that are going to allow them to come to the realizations of what is most important to them. What could life look like for them? How might I get there? You know, what steps would I need to take to achieve this? Or what are some potential options for me that I haven't even considered? I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago when I left my academic job. Like, would you ever, would I ever have found myself doing what I'm doing now? You know, coaching, speaking, facilitating, educating, advocating, all of these things that I do that are really not at all related to emergency and critical care, which is my specialty. I would have said, no way I'm going to be locuming. I'm going to be a critical care locum. I'm going to be doing some speaking at conferences because I love to teach maybe some labs and that's it. That's going to be my life. And, and now I I just, at the time, I never even knew that something like this existed. And it's incredible if you spend time, you know, within the Facebook groups that really, you know, focus on jobs that are non-clinical, whether they be government, industry, academia. And otherwise, there are so many opportunities that still allow veterinarians to use their degree and their credentials and their training, just not in that traditional clinical sense that has been ingrained in so many of us since before we got into vet school. So the best piece of advice that I would give to an individual who's thinking of leaving and who's, especially if it is because they're feeling burnt out, number one, because so much mental health problems overlap with burnout. I would absolutely connect with a mental health professional. It's very hard to discern the symptoms of depression and even sometimes anxiety from burnout. So you want to connect with someone who, who knows who can help you, who can work through that with you. And it can maybe offer, you know, some other strategies for support. And then to also consider connecting with a coach who's going to offer you that outside perspective who's going to guide you through some exercises that might create some aha moments or some epiphanies for you and you know might get the wheels turning about some other potential opportunities for you within this veterinary career and space or maybe not so that you've kind of exhausted all of those options and have had someone to really function as a guide you know throughout that process mm-hmm.
0: If you're wanting coaching specifically for veterinarians, I'll share how we can help shortly. The struggle to maintain boundaries is a common issue in the vet profession, often rooted in deep psychological fears of being caught out or never being enough. But this doesn't have to be your story. Creating work boundaries is not just about saying no, it's about seeking professional help, identifying your values. And taking control of your life and creating your non-negotiables it's all well and good knowing the underlying reasons behind a lack of boundaries but how do you actually make change in going through my own career struggles I've developed a coaching program specifically for vets to help you design a career that works for you based on the work of career experts along with my own experience in the veterinary industry in each episode of the podcast I'll share with you one simple achievable step to help you on your own career change journey. Next Step Accepted Your next step is quick value discovery using AI. As mentioned earlier in the episode, if you want to set boundaries in your life, you first need to understand your values. While this is something that we go through in great deal in the Next Step Vet Career Accelerator, a quick version of this is to use AI to help you. Write down 20 or so words that are important to you in your work and in your life. Go through this list and highlight no more than 10 words that resonate the most with you. Then go onto ChatGPT and ask it to summarize your 10 words into 4 core values. If you don't feel like ChatGPT got this right, ask it to retry. Or even emphasize words that are the most important to you. So, this week, do a quick values discovery using AI. Next Step Accepted. That's it for this episode of Next Step Vet. You can find out more about Marie on LinkedIn or visit her website, revivingvetmed.com. Links to these are in the show notes. Three key take homes. There are usually deep underlying psychological reasons for our inability to say no or to create boundaries. In order to set clear boundaries, we need to understand our core values. If you're unhappy at work, this will help you to understand why you're unhappy. Seek professional help from a coach to give an outside perspective and help you come to the realization of what is actually important to you. I'm host and creator, Steve O'Ealy. Thanks for tuning in to Next Step Vet. If you're finding this podcast helpful for your veterinary career, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra generous, a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify is appreciated. In our next episode, you'll discover how to finally take back control of your veterinary career. If you're a veterinarian interested in taking the next steps in your career, designing a career that works for you, bringing you more joy and fulfillment, visit nextstepvet.com Book a discovery call, and allow us to share how we can help you, so you can stop feeling stuck in your job and start designing a career that works for you. The links are in the show notes. Next Step Vet is produced by me, Steve O'Leary. Editing is thanks to Alex Van Rose. Show theme is Symbidium by WMD, and background music is created by Soundstripe. This was a production of Next Step Vet. The Veterinary Career Podcast, helping you on your journey to a more enjoyable life.